Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Josephine Decker, a writer and director who's defined a remarkable body of work over the past decade, from her early features Butter on the Latch and Thou Was Smiled and Lovely, to Madeline's Madeline and Shirley, all intense, sometimes overwhelming studies of people, often young people, wrestling with thoughts and feelings their bodies can barely contain. Josephine's new film, The Sky is Everywhere, is very much in the same vein, starring Grace Kaufman as a teenage girl reeling from the sudden death of her older sister. It's now streaming on Apple TV+, and it's excellent. You should see it. Josephine picked Babe, director Chris Noonan and producer George Miller's 1995 live-action adaptation of Dick Kingsmith's children's book, The Sheep Pig. It's the tale of a piglet, voiced by Christine Cavanaugh, who refuses to be relegated to livestock and trains himself as a sheepdog, much to the bemusement of Farmer Hoggett and his wife Esme, played by James Cromwell and Magda Zubansky. A triumph of visual effects technology and pure emotional storytelling, it's a wonderful film and a thrilling experience of sheer feeling, much like Josephine's work, albeit with a very different set of protagonists. This is someone else's movie. I don't, mean, I don't mean to be plugging my movie, but also I'm just coming off of talking about it a lot. But in the skies everywhere, one of the things that really drew me to it was how joyous it was that I had tended to make really dark work. And then this is, it was, even though it's a movie about grief, it's really joyous and has extremely like positive, optimistic life view, I think, and worldview, even though it doesn't, it doesn't pull away from the grief at all. I think it's pretty intense when it needs to be intense, but it, and authentic, but it also, lets you into lets you into the playfulness and joy that is you know life and that is available and um babe my favorite movie of all time <laughs> is about a little pig um who, <laughs> who uh wanders into uh kind of a terrifying world without his mom he's like bought you know he's he's like you know he's well he's a runt and he's sold <laughs> To, to like some guy at like a farm and then um and then he gets and then he he's won in an auction by this farmer and then the farmer just like <laughs> there's a great there's so many great lights but the farmer picks up babe the very first time they look you know and then the voiceover says something like and something passed between the, the farmer and the pig you know it, i'm not getting exactly right something like that you know something passed between the farmer and the pig and there's this like beautiful push in on the pig eyes and farmer eyes i think this is how i remember it again i didn't watch it yesterday but i see it about every two years of my life and then the pig starts peeing on the farmer yeah. <laughs> and i just it just so many delightful things like that where it's always going really it's just touching something profound which is that like there is this magical connection between humans and animals and then immediately subverting it and sort of saying like or did he just have to pee you know it just and i think that there's something really nice and i think jandy script does something similar about like uh holding us in a space that can be so reverent while letting letting the characters and her own playfulness like be irreverent i guess to some degree but um why wait so the question is why babe Babe I mean, that, that is, kind of sums it up, but yeah, that kind of sums. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Actually. Yeah, that's true. That, that, that's pretty much, I mean, but I, can I talk about the, uh, the trillion other things? <laughs> Please. Yeah. It's like, so I cry, weep. I pretty much weep every time I watch the movie and I've seen it literally hundreds of times. And then, um, uh, it's so, it's a very colorful, very evocative world that feels it's like bored. It is kind of a storybook. It like places itself in storybook time. And there's this like very funny moment um, when 
they give the farmer like a fax machine. I think he hands him like the, the, his kids get him a fax machine for Christmas. And he's like, what am I going to do with this? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> because the whole movie has felt like it's living in uh, like it was made in the nineties, but it has felt like it's living in like 1907, you know, and its farm is still sort of placed in the past. Mm-hmm. And then this appearance of like the modern is so weird, but it, so it holds a very fairy tale storybook vibe and it plays with that storybook quality. There's kind of chapters, there's little songs sung by tiny mice that like open each section of the film. Um, And that's also just glorious. I mean, so the tiny details of the film are so alive and hilarious and strange, you know, these mice, and they're sort of often like making fun of the tragic stakes at hand. You know, I think there's like, what is, one one of them's like, what is? Oh, pigs are stupid. Ah! <laughs> and they all laugh so much. And you're and you're like, it's just. It reminds me. I read about Japanese. Um, there's some kind of. I think it's a Japanese style of play where they put on these tragedies, and they're so intense. But then between the acts of the play, there's a comedian or a clown that comes on stage and like plays to the audience and makes fun of how. Like, Ooh, I'm going to die, you know, and like between the acts of this, of this really intense play that you're really gripped by and following the plot. And Ooh. I just think that's sort of so necessary. You know, you can't really take yourself seriously unless you also don't take yourself seriously. And I, anyway, again, and I also think that's what drew me to Jandy's work so much. Um, but certainly like the fact that like the life and death stakes of babe, which is like, don't die. You're a pig. Don't die <laughs> are constantly reiterated by like, nice like singing his potential demise is really um, lovely also i think my child is screaming in the background i don't know if you can hear her but um she's had a rough day we skipped nap time (laughs) it's fine don't worry i can always edit um i have to admit i was a little apprehensive about talking about babe uh myself just because i cannot watch it without weeping um i was summer 95 so i would have been 27 grown man, uh, press screening, um, you know, seven o'clock on the Wednesday night before it opened. And we were all just kind of, what is George Miller doing? Why is he making this movie? He just made Lorenzo's oil, which is a bloody masterpiece that nobody now 30 years later, nobody talks about. Um, why is he making a children's film? What is he doing? I don't get it. I resent this. This is going to be bad. And then within maybe 45 seconds, uh, I was like an anime eyed giant faced. Just plugged right in instantly, and the, the 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 it's exactly what you were saying. It's the balance of real stakes and horror, like the existential crisis that some of the characters, if not all of them, go through. One like Christmas is carnage. These are things that are yes <laughs> scary, but they are presented in such a loving way that the like this is a movie, and I usually use this phrase as an insult. But in this case, it's true. This is a movie that would pick you up and tuck you in if it could. It's so gentle and and clear-eyed about the story it's telling. And so much of that is carried in James Cromwell, who, you know, has to look imposing but warm at the same time. And once I clued into that and once I just sort of cued into the the mood of it, it just took me away. And I am a blubbering mess, even more so in Pig in the City. Um, because that's dark. That is, that is a refutation. I I couldn't, I was not into pig in the city because I 
this is the sequel to Babe, which is called mm-hmm. Big in the City, which is like, I think, uh, I don't know. I remember seeing it in high school, being so excited. Everyone knew that Babe was my favorite movie. And I, I had a friend who was on the like high school paper who had a press pass to see oh, Big yeah. in the City. And he was like, would you like to see this? I'm I'm probably not going to go see this movie. And I was like, oh my God, I have a press pass. And I went and saw it. You know, there's like three people in the theater. I didn't know how that worked. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and I was just like, this is so depressing and dark. It's like the opposite. And I just was like, oh no, I don't want to live. <laughs> I don't want to live this world. But the Babe world was so deeply playful it's interesting to me um i i actually realized i don't even i always remember that george miller produced babe but he did not direct babe um no uh, chris noonan chris did the first noonan one and, direct... and uh, miller helm the second what else has chris noonan done uh i'm just i'm looking him up on the imdb now because that's easier than thinking um <laughs> assuming oh uh he seems to have drifted away from filmmaking but he did a lot of television uh, before Babe, and then directed one live-action film, Miss Potter, uh, which yeah. was the uh, Renee Zellweger, Beatrix Potter movie, which isn't very good. Um, but again, it was a Weinstein production, so who knows? We're seeing the version that was actually shot. Well, that's, and it's it was really interesting because I watched the behind the scenes that comes on like the DVD or or you know whatever when I was like growing up, and it's mm-hmm. George Miller who does all the behind the scenes conversation, and I was sort of like, that's so surprising. Like, is it's always almost always the director who does this and but he walks us through like you know how he chose the story and how they built up um i'm forgetting his name but the father dog like the dog the the patriarch dog figure who really wasn't really a figure in the book which the book is the book is fun but is honestly nowhere near as good as the movie Mm. um i think that's sort of what i've learned it's like you you have to know um so he he they invented this character who creates a wonderful like set of problems and also kind of like uh, a lot of tension in the film. Um, and I, yeah, I, I thought that was so wise. And, but I was like, I was like, I wonder what that relationship was like between Chris Noonan and George Miller, because the fact that Chris Noonan is not doing the behind the scenes conversation, I was like, maybe that didn't go that well. I have no idea. <laughs> it's funny. I've interviewed him a bunch of times, but not for Babe. So it's never come up. Which one, George Miller or Chris Noonan? Uh, Miller. Oh, wow. Um, he is one of my favorite human beings. He is going to kill himself doing a stunt somehow. Like He's going to build a big thing that falls on him on the next Mad Max movie, and that will be the end of it, but he will go the way he wants to. He's <laughs> he is just a delightful man. Um, he's he's smarter than almost anybody I've ever spoken to. He, you know, he trained as a doctor before he became a filmmaker, so he has this entire branch of life that that pre-existed and, and that he brings to um to his movies and i think part of his film's strengths are because of the un- he he has this understanding of the fragility of a, of a person or an animal and he's he's delicate when he needs to be um that's why lorenzo's oil is so powerful it's it's mm. ha- have you seen it because i, I, I realize not everyone seen has lorenzo's oil. i can't believe i haven't seen it yeah it's only just come back into circulation kino lober put out a blu-ray maybe two years ago okay and it is it's excruciating. Uh, like as a parent of a small child, I wouldn't recommend you watch it. I didn't know he was a doctor. That's so fascinating. Yeah. He worked in emergency medicine right up until shooting the first Mad Max. Wow. Um, which is apparently where like some of the, the, the gore that isn't gore comes from that. He, he figured out that exactly how much trauma a, a person would sustain in a motorcycle crash, which is why it doesn't look that bad. Mm. Um, but he said like, there's a quote from him. I think maybe it was from Fangoria when Road Warrior came out and he said, yeah, everybody thinks we're underplaying it, but basically if you take off the jacket, there's just nothing there, but meat. 
Oh. And that is so matter of fact and so disturbing. Oh my God. Like, yeah, this is a guy who's, who's cut people out of their clothes to save their lives. I get it. Um, oh and they, I think they got an ambulance from the, from the hospital he was actually working at to shoot for, as either a production van or to use in a stunt in the first Mad Max. Like it's just decades ago. I can't remember the stories. Wild. But he, yeah, he's just, He's that guy who goes to school and gets a degree for his parents and comes up with it. I mean, and there were no movies in Australia. He basically had to forge this career for himself. There was nothing like the action cinema genre that, that he perfected. Hmm. And, uh, and then to pivot away and make children's movies, uh, which aren't for children, right? Cause the babe films are so sophisticated that, you know, I don't, I don't know that a kid could appreciate a bull terrier saying, what was the line from Pig in the City? A shadow, a dark shadow of violence hangs over my soul, which again just makes me start weeping <laughs> to think of it. I know one of my favorite lines is well, you kind of alluded to the duck, the trajectory of the duck in Babe, where the <laughs> duck is sort of talking about how he's kind of confessing like this the life or death, his own life or death stakes that you know he has to keep being the rooster. He has to make sure that he gets rid of this alarm clock that's in the house because the alarm clock has replaced him and every animal needs its um like function on this farm because if you don't have your function then you're gonna get eaten you know and he um <laughs> and so he's explaining this debate he's like you know roosters they wake everyone up in the morning and they help the, the hens flip make the eggs he's like i tried it with the hens it didn't work <laughs> this is a duck this is yeah. a duck and you know what? just like that line i mean i think i recorded that line with my siblings like four thousand times <laughs> i tried it, with the hens, it didn't work um yeah, it's so interesting. What a fascinating human being. I mean, I think it's 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 interesting starting to. I'm working on a theater piece um, with this with Pig Iron Theater Company, which they I worked with younger, and um, we're developing something in Philadelphia. It's a, a devised piece about pregnancy, and I it makes me realize like how much I run on intuition, mm-hmm. um, and I meditate, and I. And, and that's where I get a lot of my ideas for cinema. Like that's kind of where Madeline's Madeline came from was like a pretty intense, it was actually a big, I did a three week, really amazing intensive with pig iron, this theater company and, and like clowning and uh, neutral mask and comedia. And then I, I had, I did a really intensive um, meditation session, like shortly afterwards. And I started to visualize this, this world and moving between being a, being a, being an actor and then kind of like, becoming the person that you're acting as and that mm-hmm. film was uniquely positioned to sort of move you in through those worlds and sort of like move from one realm of like you're in one space where you're not you're you're acting and then you're in another space where you are the thing that you're acting and so I, I started getting really excited about that and that kind of immersion but point is I always just rely on that for mostly as my like guide and inspiration and um it's been interesting I'm teaching it Princeton this semester, I'm teaching a, a class called Fables of Our Time with with Dan, this guy who who helps run Pig Iron and um, Pig Iron Theater, and he's all ideas, and he's just like full on ideas, and um, loves to like dissect things, like how does this work, like what does that work, and I'll just be like, well, I don't know, I just love it, you know, I like it when a poem arises like this, and I like it when this, and um, but I was just thinking about like a lot of the f- films that I get really obsessed with are. Um, you know, I'll find out stuff like this, that George Miller is like a um, guru of, um, you know, that he's, I'm, I'm a, he's clearly very meticulous in the way that he crafts the story and in the way that he crafts the film um, and puts a ton of research into it. And then um, 
And then I'm also drawn to filmmakers like Andrea Arnold, who are um, like really just like throw themselves into the immediacy of cinema and, and make it all about the present moment. And I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud about this, like kind what kind of category, the kind of categories of thinking that go into making art basically. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, something like Babe, just by definition, can't be intuitive because you have to build the actors. Like you actually exactly. have to create and frame the, you know, the Henson creature shop and, and um, at in the nineties too, when they weren't doing very much where they were, they were just sort of in that, that lull where there were a couple of Muppet movies and there wasn't much else for them to do until CG backfired in five years down the road. Right. And everybody realized, Oh no, no, no. Sometimes you need to build puppets. You need physical stuff to work with. And then they got their surge again. Jim Henson Creature Shop. Well, so is it Jim? You know what? I'm, I love that I'm obsessed with Babe. I came to this with very little knowledge of like all the all the workings of it. And you're like, okay, so this is how it all went down. This is great, actually. <laughs> this is like my favorite way of learning is like through conversations. Well, so wait, Jim Henson's Creature Shop is that? Were they they were big partners on Babe. I didn't even know this. They were building. They were the fabricators. They built the puppets, the animals. No wonder. Um, they were the CG and they must was have done, done by... the puppet tearing as well. I believe so. Yeah. Although it was yeah. all shot in New South Wales. So maybe it was shipped to them after like okay. the, after the designs mm-hmm. and fabrication, uh, that part, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I would assume it was all done with Miller's people, but mm-hmm. you know, this was the first time he was attempting something like this. So he probably would have wanted the uh, expertise. And you said, and then I think, is it an Australian animation company that did all the animation? Uh, Rhythm and Hughes was the company, and I think they're based in the States, but I'm not totally sure. I can double check that. Oh, the internet says American. Yes, they won the they won the only Oscar for the film. They won the best visual effects for it. Oh wow. Should have won best picture. I know. Is the best movie. <laughs> I'm still stunned it didn't go to Apollo 13 that year. Um, which now who in the was, review, who did win that year? Braveheart, which uh, has not uh, aged terribly well on a, for a multitude <laughs> of reasons. <laughs> I remember seeing that movie in the theater and walking out when like the third head got chopped off. I was like, I can't. I don't know if I can really watch this like this anymore. But yeah, it's not not exactly the babe. Yeah, <laughs> no. Hollywood made a choice that year. Uh, they, they chose yeah, exactly. violence. Yeah, they tend to do that. Well, it's interesting too that I mean, I was just thinking about the ending of Babe and how it's such a um it's so emotional, the ending and sort of like getting the blessing of the dog, having yeah. the dog kind of like run to help, like Babe gets to, to these sheep in the in this um uh for those of you who haven't seen it, um <laughs> I mean Babe like gets to this whatever sheep uh competition where yep. he's supposed to like organize the sheep and then the sheep that he's been working with at the farm that he has a really nice relationship with these sheep at this place he can't connect to. And so um, the dog like runs all the way home and like, it's like sheep, you've got to help babe, you know? And she's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I, you've been mean to me. And he's like, it's not for me. It's for babe. And, you know, and she ends up telling him the secret password that, you know, like all sheep respond to. Um, But it is really nice that ironically, I mean, we've been talking about the, the complex political situation. And I feel like what this movie is about is really about like, how do you diffuse violence? You Mm -hmm. know, how do you uh, tear down walls that make people seem other, you know, how do you um, also communicate 
internal motivations for, for, um, for actions that may seem really uh, cruel or uh, completely like opaque, you know, to one party may, that may be like really integral to the um, sort of like pride and well-being of another party. It's just interesting. I just love that it humanizes everyone. You know, that in that film, there is no bad guy really. I mean, there's the person who's the bad guy becomes a really integral part of the solution. And, um, and you, I know that these are sort of cheesy themes, but actually like when you think about it, it's not that many really wonderful movies that do this well, you know? And that's why I think the, why this movie is so great. It's just that it's not hammering home. It's never being like, this is the message, but it ultimately is like all about this pig navigating a universe and bringing people together. I just watched um, spirited away Oh yeah. also, which I hadn't seen in a while. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I think I, probably almost since it came out and I loved it when it came out, I actually, I, I started studying Japanese because I was like, I've got to go to Japan. This movie is too good. Um, I only got through Japanese one-on-one. I was taking like night classes and then um, I realized that it might be a little much <laughs> to do, have a full-time job and do that. But but I had the, but the, it's really, her journey in Spirited Away is similar in that she, there's this young girl, Chihiro, who gets stuck in a bathhouse and, um, uh, and there's all these crazy creatures coming and it turns out that they're all spirits from the spirit realm who are coming to like bathe in this bathhouse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's a super magical place also at times dangerous because who knows what these spirits are bringing or, you know, what their intention is. And, um, and you kind of think for the first like two thirds of the movie, it's sort of, it's very like plot quest kind of driven. It feels like a very quest movie and you're sort of like just navigating one kind of cyclops after another sort of feeling. Um, But then the end of the movie, the last like 30 or 40 minutes are all about lonely beings learning how to kind of like come together and let go of loneliness as they're driving force. And, and, um, and just like go, they just, I mean, and to hero this, this, this character sort of saves the day by just like taking people with her on her adventure. She's just like, well, you can come. There's like a little, there's like this, like really angry baby who gets turned into a mouse. And then she takes this angry baby with her on this trip. And then, and this also this really evil creature who's been like eating people, um, he just like wants a friend. And so they just, she just like takes them with her on, and it becomes like this very simple, like, calm like the climax of the movie is this like really sincere calm experience of like her just going on a long journey with these people who need friends mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it's so beautiful it really stunned me I didn't remember the movie like that and I um because it felt it is really action-packed up until then and I just anyway I just find that that's really there's something really glorious about that um yeah well it's the it's the journey towards acceptance of the journey Right. And yeah. <laughs> so many of Miyazaki's stories are about people who are forced out of their worlds to do something spectacular, but they don't want to do it. And it's resentful. And it isn't until they just deal with it. It's like Mononoke, where, well, you're going to die eventually. So you might as well give your life meaning. That's a thing to land in an animated film. And <laughs> it uh, it works. It works for him every time. He's 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 incredibly good at finding the tiny center that lets kids connect to it, that lets adults see what's going on. I mean, and Miller does the same in, in Pig in the City and, and Noonan and Miller do it in Babe. And I don't want to diminish Noonan's contributions yeah. either. Um, but the sensitivity required to sell the scene where everyone rallies to save Pig, who they have been 
annoyed by and uh, setting up to fail and mm. and putting no faith in. And the and the idea too that at every turn, as you said at the very beginning of, of our conversation, pig's going to die if he does something wrong. Pig is going to get eaten. That's where he's going. That's what happens to pigs. Mm. And the farm rallying to make Farmer Hockett see him as a pet rather than a meal is so beautiful and so tender and so frenzied when it happens because we, by that point, we are plugged in. We feel the desperation and the urgency. And I just like, I'm going to start crying again right now. If I start thinking about the song, it's perfect. It's the song. You're talking about the song and babe. If I had words. Yeah. Oh, which is just again, like when the, uh, when it comes up at the end, it's just like those light, the house lights should not come up because a lot of grownups are going to be sitting there going, okay, wait, I just, I don't, don't look at me. Oh my um, gosh. It's so pure. And again, the instinct, right. To, to know that that will work and to pay it off and, and seed it through the film and land it. It feels like a miracle. The best, I, I hesitate to call them children's films, the best family films like the Paddingtons, they feel like mm-hmm. they shouldn't have happened because they're just, there's, there's so much better to watch the second time because you're mm-hmm. not worried about whether they're going to blow it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then you can just give yourself over to it and, and just bathe in it. When I was making the skies everywhere, I kept bringing up babe and Amelie as references because they, I was like, they have tonally, they're doing something similar. They're touching on like large themes in a very colorful, vibrant, like um, energetic way, you know, but that, but they're dealing with darker elements. And it was interesting to me to watch. I was like, I was like, but I want it to be a really colorful world like babe. And I went back and looked at images of babe and realized like how noir actually it's shot. It's shot almost like, especially at the beginning, it's very noir. (laughs) And like, also there's always like, there's like a, there's like a scene, there's a few scenes where like the, all of the um, animals come together and everyone is just lit through like the slats of the barn. Mm-hmm. So it has this really kind of terrifying feeling. And I just love that, you know, to play with a genre, like a kid's movie and treat it with that, like um, the kind of like Hulk, I guess you could say, and the, and the, um, the uh, specificity, but also like intensity of a noir film, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, that, that life and death is at stake in both projects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the sequel is even more expressionistic, like just going into that sort of starkness, but right. it's there in the original to be mined in this, in the next one. And yeah, I mean, the Amelie influence is fairly clear in, in the skies everywhere because both Amelie and the skies everywhere to me feel like they're almost musicals that they would like the characters, if pushed long enough, would burst into song. And the, and the characters in Skies Everywhere are musical. So you have that. Um, but but nobody sings. But they could. And the the, the energy is there, right? They, they're, they're, they're functioning at this emotional peak throughout the entire story. You start in grief and you move towards either joy or the release of grief, mm. which can feel like joy, even though it is just a letting go. And that's, again, that's something that is really hard to convey on screen. And, and the film really managed it. I mean, I, it landed for me. Oh, that's nice to hear. I, I think our, our Jandy, who was our, um, the writer of the film and writer of the book that it's based on is so like, what a brilliant human. And she, I just love that she crafted, cause you're right. She almost crafted a musical, but the, but it's not a musical in that it, nobody burst into song. It's a musical of classical music. Like it's basically like a Bach musical. (laughs) I mean, you have like dance numbers 
to Bach, which is like, I don't know. I haven't seen that much. (laughs) And and it was fun to, to work on too. I mean, to the, um, there's like a wonderful scene in the Rose garden where like these roses sort of turn into dancers. And then, and then the, the two leads who are falling in love sort of dance as well. And it's all to air on G and then Lenny and Joe, um, are really like really falling for each other. And sort of one of the scenes that like cements this like really deep connection that they're having is that they play, they finally play Bach together, which is sort of set up in the previous scene. And then they, they, um, well, I don't want to give anything away, but they, they, they leave the ground, let's just say. And so it's sort of like a dance in the sky almost. And uh, yeah. And it, it just, it's fun to think of it like that. I, you know, I, I, I definitely, that came up when we were in, prep we were like how do you do the you know it's sort of like how you have as much fun as you're having in a musical um how do you make sure that you like play with all of those same elements and go as big as as you want to in those realms um and Mm. I love practical effects I love practical effects I really wanted to do as little CGI as possible and it's interesting to thinking about a project like Babe and my god I mean I didn't realize that any of the, that there were any puppets at all. I thought it was real animals and CGI. And then I was really stunned to go back and rewatch it and realize how much is puppets and how much they were relying on them. And, um, but I think they trained like ton, they had like, I think, what do you say? Like f- something like 45 pigs played babe, the one single pig, because the babes, the pigs kept growing too big and then they yes. have to kind of cycle them out. Um, like pigs grow fast. It turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia says 46. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm impressed that I remembered that 45. I was, I was only was off good. by one. <laughs> yeah. And that one was probably digital anyway. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the, the worlds are sort of conjoined in a weird way in that they are, fantastical and mundane at the same time but they they're they're ordinary situations but they are invested they're infused with something wonderful and magical and Mm. and also i think in the skies everywhere not fully in the control of the characters so there's an energy that there's a wildness running around that they're they're crushed by grief at inopportune moments but they're also overcome by joy or just the energy of being a, a teenager the energy of being i mean i don't mean to to demean it but it's theater kid energy, right? Like before you mm. know where you're going in your career, it's that incredible, expressive, uncontrolled enthusiasm for everything until you find your discipline. Yes. And it's, it reads like I, I connected. I'm a, I'm a 53 year old man and I plugged right in. Oh, that's really nice. I, you know, it's funny. Cause I do, I had always been like, I wonder if oh, when we were test screening, one of the biggest fans of the movie was um, my friend who, um, is, uh, well, I wonder if you'd be okay with me sharing is, um, it's my friend, Billy Weber, who he edited Top Gun and, um, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and also worked on Tree of Life and edited, um, Days of Heaven. He is such a stunning, I mean, he worked on like the, some of the most right, like also in such different genres, like some of these like incredible films of our, of, you know, our canon. And um, he helped our, the editor that I've worked with on all of my movies, basically David Barker, who's a genius. Um, he went on paternity leave and da- and Billy was so generous to like come and work with me for like about a month while David went and had his baby. Oh. Um, but he, uh, which I learned so much from him. And I also really enjoyed um, like he, he, he watched skies everywhere. And he was like, I think the most enthusiastic of anyone who'd seen it. And that's also because he's older. He's 
I, I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he was like, I am losing friends so quickly around me. And he was just like, I'm dying for, you know, and it's so hard to process this grief. And I feel like this movie is so special because it creates a space for that, you know, and I've always held that so close to my heart and, you know, was so like, grateful to share it with him and grateful that he connected with it in that way. And, and also really made me realize, you know, how I am so curious how this movie is going to do with young people because it's a it's a movie about grief, which is ideally, hopefully, knock on wood for all the young people who do see the movie, hopefully not something that they've had to experience personally is lose someone that they're very, very, very close to or a family member. And um, but obviously in the wake of these last two years, I think more people have lost folks than ever. Um well, I was going to say it's it's perfectly timed for that for for the sense that this might be over and it's what that's what this is going to feel like we'll we'll be emerging. Well, and I think it's also this moment where we have a shared collective grief, kind of you know, regardless of losing any particular person, losing our communities and being isolated so much, and and you know, losing the presence of a friend for this time for a year or a year and a half, losing that physical interaction that's a lot to grieve. You know, there's so much, there's such a richness when we're social beings, you know, we're, we, we need each other. And I think it's, it's, it feels so important to get to spend time together. So I do hope the movie, the skies everywhere sort of lands in a nice pocket for, for the people who are seeing it now that able to sort of hold some of that loss in a way that is, um, I mean, I was about to say like, dare I say healing? I don't want to like, I'm like, it's so funny because I'm always like terrified of like message movies or movies where you, uh, you're like, you know, sentimental movies, but also I'm talking about babe and somehow it pulls (laughs) off being like so successful emotionally, um, but also has a very strong, clear and powerful, um, kind of like moral to the story. So I don't know that I have any morals to like get across, but I think I'm just like hopeful that that people find something to that find some kind of like mirror on their own experience and less alone. If it isn't healing, then at least it's a comfort, which I think is just as important. Oh yeah, that's probably a better way of saying it. That's maybe more the word that I was looking for. <laughs> I'm like, healing sounds a little extreme. Like who gets healed by a movie? Although I have to say like art can do a lot of amazing things. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. It happens more often than we think, I think. At least I have to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I was really obsessed with 100 years of solitude growing up, um, which in a weird way, I kind of feel like there's something akin with 100 years of solitude and babe and that like, there are characters in hundred years of solitude who are followed by yellow butterflies and like um, famously like eaten by ants. And so I think that there's a way that the natural world is sort of communicating with and connecting to humans in a sometimes wonderful, sometimes terrifying way. And um, uh, anyway, those like those magical details feel very alive and it would be like, babe. My thanks to Josephine Decker, whose new film, The Sky is Everywhere, is now streaming on Apple TV+. It's terrific. Thanks also to Barb Matheson. She knows what she did. You can find Josephine on Twitter at Josephine Jambox, all one word, and you can find Babe on Blu-ray and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Crave in Canada and Stars in the U.S., and it's available to rent or buy on VOD. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast every Friday, in addition to writing far too many words about movies and television. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, 
and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.